The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. My family thinks I'm crazy. Podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I got them in a shade. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with you. Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, and it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah. So, who are we talking about today, Matt? Join me on this uncharted journey into a land first recognized by the Western world as far India in the 11th century. Thailand is a mystical gemstone crystallizing over many centuries into a unique window into our past and one fascinating expression of human culture, unique from Asia and the world as a whole. And like many cultures we've previously explored, Thailand is a world teeming with magic, mysticism, and many occult practices whose counterparts have been lost to the rest of the world. Our guide through this aspect of Thai culture is Peter Jenks, author of the seminal work in this realm titled The Thai Occult. He joins us today to share his latest book, Supernatural Thailand, here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm Mystic Mark, of course. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode with Peter Jenks. was about a four-hour drive from a city called Udon 
getting the seven in the morning, the climb, <laughs> the climb's a bit hard, they could do with a lift, but the place itself is is just unbelievable. It looks like coil, coiled serpents, huge coiled serpents, huge, huge naga heads lying on the floor. You're not allowed to touch the, the rock, it's protected, it's part of a national park. They keep banning, they keep closing down to clean the place up because people keep making offerings and putting a bit of chalk on it, trying to find the number for the lottery. And particularly <laughs> pristine. Now, I studied geology at university, and this place doesn't make sense because the weathering is the same on the underside of a bed as it is on top of the bed. And that is not how it happens. It's just, we can't work it out. It's supernatural in nature, in my opinion. And I'm going to go back and take more photographs at some point, despite the climb, because, and add them later, I think I'll, I'll add to this book. Just take a few of the really spectacular ones, because, I mean, there were so many people there praising. I stopped actually taking photographs of this place because I didn't really want to disturb them. It's very special for Thai people. So I kept my photographs to a minimum. And it has the feeling of like, like almost like a cathedral. It's, it's really quite bizarre. New places for the Naga, but the whole stretch of the river from Kamchanok, near to Kamchanok, around past the Naga mountain, all the way down to say Nakampanom, is all mystical Naga area. And it's well worth a visit because there's just something beautifully strange about the place. It's magnificent. And the Naga, really, I see them as an elemental force. They're one of the forces of nature. And in the past two or three years, there's been some very bizarre film coming out of that area of green snakes swimming upside down in the water, you know, just doing really weird things. And even in that area, when they plow a field, they plow it in a certain way not to interrupt the movement of the Naga on the land. It's just, it's there, it's that area that is the important part for it. I think they're rising and people's interest in them is rising because of the state of the earth. You know, and Thailand, if things go the way we think they are with the astrology over the next eight or ten years, Thailand will rediscover its connection fully with nature, which would be of great benefit to the country in my opinion. synchro mystic ever expanding now because it's this momentary thing when you experience these you know surreal or even meta these synchronicities are sort of a, a, a cliche at this point at least in my small community because when you're tuned in and tapped in they're just slapping you in the face you know it's it's hard well, it's to not like notice that. them yeah, it's mm. all like that it just becomes part of life Right, right. And unfortunately, a lot of people in, in my experience where I grew up had really no concept of this. They maybe appreciated some finer aspects of life, but 
for the most part, this was a, a type of philosophy that I really had to, you know, discover in a way. It wasn't available to me where well it was it wasn't available to many people mm. to be honest with you it was a very small community i presume like 30 years ago 40 years ago mm. and i think just the modern times have made it necessary to get into it well let me tell you a little bit about this show peter and it's a pleasure to have you here i hope you don't mind me calling you peter this is the my Thanks, family man. This is the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. So we're we're very comfortable at this point in the show. I've, I've spoken to many brilliant people like yourselves, and I'm comfortable in this position of knowing all that is weird and wild and strange. But I think some of the listeners come to this show from a place of maybe neophyte, right? Where, where this is all new to them and they resonate with the title, oh, My Family Thinks I'm Crazy too. So if you could, for, for people who are maybe new to your work and and even maybe new to this show, give us a little 101 on, on who you are and, and what you're doing. Sure. My name is Jenks, Peter Jenkinson, and I kind of come up through a magical world without just on the periphery of it, never really dipping a toe in. And then maybe seven or eight years ago in Thailand, I have kind of allowed it in because I've, I, don't, I was almost avoiding it. I wasn't quite ready for it. But there was, it was a time of becoming really independent from the world. And whether that was due to the magic of being coming in or whether I was ready for that is, is to be debated. But eventually, I think with most forms of magic, we have to kind of come to terms with the fact that we're going to let it in. And letting it in has kind of changed my life. I've realized very quickly that the information on the occult system of Thailand was very lacking so I started with a book about what information was available, which most of which is wrong now, to be honest. <laughs> but that's the learning process, right? <laughs> and from that point, we did a book on Satyam interviewing the makers, which was very early to do that, and they were very trusting of me. And then went on to do the third book, which was the one that really took hold. To be honest, it was the one where that we were waiting for to happen because it ended up being 552 pages and having the magicians themselves describing the system, which kind of stopped, well, stopped some of the misinformation in some places, but in other places it still persists. And then I turned around and rewrote the Satyam book because it wasn't good enough. And now we're, we've just done, released a, a PDF on um, supernatural travels in Thailand. So the journey, there's one more to do, but the journey, so the journey is still continuing at this point. Wonderful. Yeah. And I must say again, I'll reiterate that I'm really a fan of your work, you know, as somebody who has really been an armchair magician myself, not quite a practitioner, but more of a reader. I found it really fascinating to learn about this world that really is, is seems like it's out of reach for someone who's, you know, solely an English speaker like myself. So yeah, I, I, what you've done is, is fantastic. I wonder, you know, when it comes to your own process or your own philosophy how much weight do you put towards 
like this universalism or syncretism because there seems to be two camps. There's people who who take the cult and they synthesize every culture to be sort of like a, you know, a different version of each other. And then there are other people who are more conservative and they say, well, no, this is the true, you know, what what's in Thailand is unique, right? Is this the stance you take or, or the former is more of your position? Well, I, I'm pretty easygoing, to be honest with you, but there's two things that has to, well, there's one thing in particular that has to be remembered and that the language itself here is sacred. The language itself is based mm. within magic. Wow. Yeah? Kata, which is an essential element, is also magic. So words are magic. And that's, that's something we have to come to terms with and take it with that level of respect. One thing that I've noticed with the, the big book, the 552-page job, which nearly killed me, by the way, Mark, um, <laughs> editing that is, was a, transition, a translated revelation, really. Oh. One thing kind of that's important here is to keep the root within the system, but most people bought that book to allow the knowledge within it to help their own systems. And that's fine as far as I'm concerned. But if you're using an actual Thai product, a Thai talisman or a Thai katar, you have to work on the pronunciation because that in itself has to be correct. So it's kind of, you can have a dualism within this system as well. And there's plenty of dualism. There's a lot of dualism within this, within this system, one of which is actually the study of it because there's two or three ways to do that and we gain benefit from all of it. Right, right. And, and that is why I'm pretty clear about that that i am an armchair you know person in this realm so nobody who listens to my podcast comes to me for this kind of advice or anything you know to be honest in the end you will end up being a collection of knowledge that people will tap right if that's the case yeah we same as here one of the great advantages here is that i can go and sit and talk to the magicians themselves and it kind of rubs off, yeah, and you end up practicing in certain ways. And while I am not a trained ajar, anybody who ends up using the amulets they produce can actually make magic themselves, but without the intention of making magic. <laughs> How about that for a comment? We cannot, it's an, it's an Eastern practice. We have to allow it to make it itself and step back from our ego. Mm. And for people who aren't familiar <clears throat> with the term you just used, it, it sounds like it's a title and a jaw. I hope I'm pronouncing it. It's a lay magician. Right. And monks make magic here, Krubas which is another title for a type of monk made magic here. The Ajahn is predominantly the lay magicians, most of which were monks at some point. Almost like uh, a, a blue-collar mystic, so to speak. <laughs> kind of, yeah. And they don't have as many rules to follow, mm. which is important, really. They're, they're based in our world of desire rather than in within the monk system because they are way above... Ah, so they don't have this same austerity or, or like yeah. announcement of the normal world? 
They normally keep five or eight presets. The monks have 227. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. That's a lot of rules to live your life That's by. a lot of rules. And I wonder why they go they, off in, in the temples. <laughs> It's and it's they are they are essential and remarkable in equal level in equal terms. Mm. Well, I'll tell you what I'm I'm a resident of Connecticut and I don't I'm not sure if you've ever been to the states, but my girlfriend and I last summer almost a year to the day we stumbled across a Thai monastery in a small town known as Morris, Connecticut. And mm -hmm. it's always open. The gates are open. They're not ever closed. But nobody was present. We were just able to drive in. And I marveled at how beautiful and how ornate these buildings were. I mean, there had to be probably five or ten people tops who who maintain the place. And I, I couldn't imagine more than a couple hundred people who regularly worship there. But even still, with that few amount of people they had really a, a splendid setup you know and and it was really nice to to go there and connect and although my girlfriend and I really you know we didn't have a sort of reference point other than recognizing like okay that's a, a dragon snake being <clears throat> yeah. which I'm referring to a naga and I hope we can get into that further because that's a, a topic that's come up before on the show before at yeah. least the the creature I don't know if it's as true in Thailand, but yeah, that's, that's the extent of, of my experience with Thai culture. I've also trained martial arts for about a decade. So you know, I have a lot of experience with Muay Thai and, and I even had a teacher who was trained in Muay Baran, which is sort of more like the military version of Muay Thai. Well, there's many Muay Baran there's, mm. uh, from different regions. There's a Southern Thai one I tried. A uh, southern uh, Taiwan called uh, Moi Chaya. Okay. Uh, nearly killed me because I'm a big fella. Moi Baran is really designed for smaller bodies. Hmm. You know. Interesting. Uh, it, uh, but it's great. I mean, there's many different Moi Barans. There's uh, different regional ancient forms. But any martial art is actually very good training for magic, in my opinion. Wow. Because it teaches you to look and not think. Right, right, right. Martial yeah. Arts, if you if you think someone's gonna you're gonna get a foot on the side of your head because you've lost focus. <laughs> right, right, and that's such a so so that in itself. I mean, I've, I've studied I've studied Tai Chi for thirty years, so that in itself is actually one of the best training I could get for entering this system, because the first problem is to get the mind to shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah yeah wow yeah and and at <clears throat> at the young age that i was learning all this stuff i think it, it it definitely laid the ground floor for where i'm at now at least with my armchair understanding as i keep <laughs> labeling it but yeah one well, yeah but i mean you know you actually just labeled in your what you said before about the thai temple is just labeling somewhere that is supernatural in nature mm. It is outside what is normal. And while there's actually no supernatural materials there, besides high Buddhist materials, the feeling you can get in these places is an example of the feeling you can also find in nature in certain places. It's extraordinary how they create a temple, a Thai temple, to have that feeling. And there's a lot of Buddhist magic involved in that. Right, right. And uh, when it comes to Muay Thai, 
I'm actually really glad we got into this as soon as we did. I don't know how much there is to discuss on on Muay Thai, but that was a, a, a profound lesson. You know, I was, I was fascinated by martial arts. I loved the UFC. It really sort of happened as I was a teenager. It became popular. So I, I joined up my local martial arts school, and there just happened to be a, a gentleman there who had spent a lot of time in Thailand learning this stuff. And one thing that really struck me about the Thai kickboxing fights is that they spent all this time dancing and praying before the match, you know, and, and as a, a competitor myself, someone who's like done wrestling matches and I always had to get over that barrier of my nerves or what I thought was going to happen because I would lose if I had that state of mind, I would lose the match. So there was a magic to getting in the right state of mind to, to be able to take on that challenge. And it's also a, a, a nice way to warm up. It's getting yourself focused, ready to fight somebody. If you're going in with the wrong state of mind, you finish. And it's the same stuff. It's the same basic principles of what we learn in magic, really. You know, I mean, martial arts also teaches you many other things, but I think it's the state of mind that's one of the great benefits for later in life when your body hurts too much to go and start jumping around doing Muay Thai. That's for young people, man. <laughs> <laughs> My God. Right. That's tough. Right. Well, I wasn't kicking banana trees or anything like that. So, <laughs> you know, I, I definitely and I'm, I'm a taller guy myself, so I understand what you mean by it being made for smaller individuals. I think us Westerners have our knees are, are, are more brittle than than theirs for some reason. I don't know. But either way, I, I'm, I'm glad we were able to touch on that. And you said you also have been practicing Tai Chi, which is all about energy the flowing of energy and which is why I'm sensitive to these things mm. after 30 years of doing that. Right now. So, you know, if one of the reasons that I've got, you know, a nice group of clients is because I know what is good and, you know, I can say, well, this is the best one I've ever found of this and of this type of talisman or, you know, this has this effect. And it's something that we're going to touch on in the last book in the series, The Tao Cult 2. You know, how do we find a way into it? What the hell do we do to get past all this? You know, because, and which is basically based on seven or eight years of people sending me questions like, what do I do with this? How do I do that? You know, it's, so I'm hoping it will be of help. That should be out by about September. Wonderful. Like so, we were just talking about these, and I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong again, so please feel free to correct me, but the Ajuna? I, you have to spell that? What's that? Ajuna? <laughs> yeah, now I'm now I'm flipping the syllables around. I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't worry. It's really hard. <laughs> the, the, lay, the lay magicians, the blue-collar yeah. mystics, when they create these amulets or these talismans, are these particular to that person's magical path is it particular to that person's region or their philosophy i mean where does the the inspiration for each individual amulet amulet come from because it sort of sounds like it's a, a personal thing like you get one from the right person that means something for you you don't want to kind of pick up one that you found that maybe was meant for somebody else 
forward this that's a very big question to be honest with you let's look at that in stages you might have to kind of keep an eye on the how i'm going to respond to this because there's many levels to this answer okay deciding on the first ambulance you buy can come in two ways one you just dive in and that normally happens with people who are particularly attracted to ghosts and having ghosts in their life because a lot of thai ambulance carry supernatural materials from people from the bodies of people who have died in certain ways they've died before their allotted time you know they've died before their natural death so and the younger the better basically because then they've lost more years so it's you know it's accident victims suicides all that sort of stuff and at the funeral they at the cremation they may just take a jar full of the bone which is actually an extremely valuable source of magic. So normally a lot of magicians use that. The monks and some Bajans also use pray. We call it putakon, which is the value of the Buddha. And to really, the second type of person that gets into this wants to know what to buy. And while I cannot tell them the specific amulet to buy, because the amulet has to choose them, we can request an astrology reading from Ajahn Apichai, who will look at their chart, their birth chart, and tell them what they need to boost from that birth chart. Now, this can either be a certain attribute of magic, which of which there are many in Thai, but they basically correspond to the what we need as, as human beings with desire. So a lot of it's about love, money, protection, etc., etc., And he also will tell them what element to balance within themselves, because that can also bring the amulets for that, which are a lake lie, which translates as a liquid metal, can help also boost their natural attributes within the body. We're all born with certain magic within us according to the time system so some people have got extremes in there extreme attraction we've all met them yeah we dribble when we meet them or get very jealous some people are born with an incredible amount of luck some people are born with status mm. and this is all dependent on your astrology so that is one way that some people enter the system so they don't make mistakes and then you need you then you don't need to buy as many things just get three or four things that are of top top quality and learn the practice itself yeah mm. so each magician is part of a lineage of magicians some people are part of one lineage where they stick strictly to the learning that has occurred and been added to by magicians for the past hundreds of years. Some of these lineages go back to very important people, very important monks. And that's why people study it, because of the fame of the monk and they can be part of the lineage and also the knowledge contained within most magicians choose the buffet they will have magic pick little bits of magic from many different people have many kruba ajans teacher ajans who help them understand various forms of magic and they will enter into a relationship with them to attain that form of magic 
So that is also, this also relates to what people buy because some people will stick to one magician that they really relate to and connect to, be they living or dead. And other people will just buy what they think they need or feel that they need or are told that they need within an astrology reading. I think that covered the whole question. Am I correct? Yeah, I have a few more questions now because of your beautiful response. But yeah, so it sort of sounds like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but this can venture into maybe an unconsensual affair if someone dies and then their bones are used or their body parts are used and they're not maybe, you know, aware of that before they die, that this is, is this the case? No, well, the the thing about each region of magic in this country is that they often have a relationship with the ghost within. That's slightly different. In the Lana area, which is where I live, Lana is like a thousand rice fields, a million rice fields, sorry, I underestimated. The magicians here, if somebody dies early through terrible luck, it is related to their karma. And they will have to spend a long time being a restless ghost until the point comes, which would have been <clears throat> the time that they actually pass to the next life or pass on, become an angel or rise. Yeah. During that time, they need merit. They need helping to have... And, a, an okay afterlife on this realm uh, and if they get enough merit they can pass on earlier merit is given as like a food for ghosts by the owner of the amulet to help the ghosts in the afterworld that they are stuck in until the natural time of death comes yeah like this symbiotic otherworldly relationship yeah. wow and those ghosts, actually, there's the helpful ghost and unhelpful ghosts, and the Ajana's got to have a connection to the ghost to be able to persuade it to reside within the amulet and not damage anybody, not attack anybody, not come out, and stay there waiting for merit to work for the person who owns the amulet. Right. And the Qatar helps feed the amulet and works on the person who owns it to help them connect to the ghost itself. Yeah. Mm. So it is, it is working in one way to look at this is to work in process whereby you are considering helping somebody stuck in the afterlife. But as you say, it is not consensual originally. Nobody says, oh, yeah, you can take a bit of bone. If I die young, you can take a bit of bone. There you go. You've got it on the take because I'm not a hypocrite with this. It's too late for me to die young anyway. Which you say, my ghost, Mark. But, so it's kind of, the, the time has gone where they used to just steal body parts before it was even cremated. Yeah, there's stories from 20 or 30 years ago where they don't the coffin and somebody cut the head off and just put a, a watermelon in its place. Mm. Yeah, that's gone. Uh, 
the time of that type of wild magician has gone. It has changed. And even finding pride now, finding human materials, is actually becoming very difficult because of the development of, of Thailand and the protection of those materials. So eventually it will wane, to be honest. It's already difficult to get hold of. And it's just, you know, it's just due to the development of the country. Right, right. And and I I remember Gordon White, I think, said this in your interview with him, that, you know, what you've done has helped fill in the blanks in what was lost in Western esotericism or even, you know, Native American esotericism. To a degree, we can say that. Yeah, and I've had a lot of people write to say that as well. But the what's missing still is the multiple generations that learned that kept learning about what they've lost mm. yeah so this is just the beginning for those systems to be honest with you mm. because what i'm being told by the magicians is the story my instruction to them before we start is look i don't want to know the witcher the knowledge i want to know the story of it so we are being given keys that we have to then work out how the hell to use that key. And that can take a very long time. Well, yeah, certainly. And, and I think the other benefit to what you're doing, and this is where I was going with, with bringing that up, is, is in the case of here in the States, we have groups that, you know, and I'm, I'm not overzealous or paranoid about these things. At least I hope I'm not. But there are groups like Skull and Bones, a secret society within Yale University that's very close to home for me, being that I live not too far from New Haven. And they allegedly have a collection of famous people's skulls. So I've always wondered, what is the occult practice at play here? And now I kind of you know, not that you've, you know, explicitly detailed their practices, but we can sort of draw a comparison with what we see with this, you know, concept of using bones to do who knows what. And, it, you know, when you consider who this Cullen Bones Society have in their collection, it doesn't feel like, you know, again, that it's a very consensual relationship, right? So that's why I've had a sort of uh, dubious feeling about it but yeah it is interesting that this sort of thing goes on we hear rumors that saint john the baptist skull was used by the knights templar as every, a sort of oracle right every single religion has the use of bone mm. every one you know i mean the relinquishes of catholicism and everybody uses it every shamanistic every animistic every I mean, even Islam has magic and the use of bone. They also praise an enormous meteorite, <laughs> which I can't blame them because meteorites are awesome. Right. Well, and you, it, um, do you know that or not, Mark? Do you want to oh yeah, that? yeah, yeah. No, I'm yeah. I'm familiar. It's almost like you know a bone, a giant bone from space. When you consider that, <laughs> you know, bones <laughs> are, are minerals, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, meteorites. Have you ever held? true meteorite, metallic meteorite, or some meteorite. They, in, in Thailand, they're kind of considered to be the source of everything, harking back 
to before history to, wow. to the primordial power. And it can be tapped. It's just only, can only be tapped for certain types of amulets here. Right. I've always had the desire for a proper meteorite blade knife blade yeah yeah i've i've read about stories of meteoric iron falling from the sky oh, and and you know yeah. those were the legendary swords that the myths yeah. were made from right yeah man yeah so well, i mean you know there is a tradition here of making magical knives and it's very good it's very potent they know what they're doing with it if you get it from the right place they are best made for the person individually the metals are chosen, the metal mix is chosen for a person on an individual basis. And again, it's one of the few places that still makes magical knives for people. Mm. You know, I just wish we could find a nice lump of metallic of metal meteorite rather than stones. So we could have one of them made. <laughs> that would just be awesome. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure the the king has one, right? Well, it's sort. Well, I'm sure he has many. Actually, I'm sure. Well, he has. He will have. There will be a collection of very, very important knives. Mm. Well, I so, do want to ask you about royalty. Maybe we can get there in a moment. Subject here, by the way. I'll have to be careful. How oh. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, no, all respect yeah. to that. And this isn't live, so anything that you say that you feel may be best left out, we can always edit. I'll even edit I'll, this. I'll, so. just be, I'll just carefully word it. That's probably the best idea. Well, I do want to ask about elements real real quick in terms of mm -hmm. like, you know, the elements. And, and we hear in the Western magic system that knives or wands or I'm sorry, knives have a sort of association with the element of air is that true in thailand do they consider no. these sort of uh, correlations like that or no 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 i've never heard of that okay yeah it's um, a knife is there to for protection and it has many many uses you can use it to cordon off an area you can use it for wishing you can use it for cursing you can use it even to calm your own mind. It's a very symbiotic relationship. There's no relationship in dialogue with the air with the air element. Well, and I think this the is element. this is symptomatic of the Western classification, right? They try to categorize everything and, and you know, in, in Wicca and other schools of thought in magic, more modern schools of thought, they have like this sort of, you know, association quality thing that they do with each element. And I'm wondering if that is present at all in the system of magic or occult in, in Thailand? Like, is there, you know, the fire element, the water element that is, does that hold any, you know, weight or, or is it not present? It holds a more weight than it's actually, it's actually given credence about. The elements within are generally balanced in two ways because they believe in having a balanced element here, balanced elements, so they can work better with, it's related to the 32 parts of the body practice, which is how they construct a new spirit within an amulet. They can do that. Yeah? So to do that, they have to be able to understand their own elements within and how they are balanced. Right. So for us, for outsiders, it's difficult to attain that in the traditional way because that is one of the what results from the practices of being a monk. 
So there are practices within Buddhism itself that balance the relationships with the, the elements within people. The, the way that's open to others is through elemental like lie, which is one of the legendary materials here. And we've, I've been working on late life for about three years. It's a nightmare because there's too much legend associated with it and myth. So I've been trying just to look at the magic and it's going to be in the next book. Mm. But there are, in all forms of late lie, there is one of the four elements and it will boost the, that element within the person. So, like, for instance, like for myself, I have balanced elements. I'm lucky. Yeah? So I can use lie elements to bring certain attributes that I want in life without having to resort to using human materials. So, like, at the moment, I'm actually wearing a fire element like lie called like lie sui and macha. I don't expect you to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the language is the bandwidth and it brings, it boosts the health, it boosts your energy and it brings authority. So it brings a certain force behind you yeah, to what you do and how you are. And next I'm going to make a relationship with the water element like lime which is called Lake Life, which is for to get people to be kind to you, for meta, for popularity and for great fortune. The one I'm looking forward to the most is the wind Lake Lai, which is called Lake Lai Palai, which is like wind itself, kind of mixes everything up, kind of blows everything back into position. It can help keep the fire, uh, well, kindle the fire in people because wind kindles fire. It's, it's a complex relationship between the balance that's within. But I've not done that yet, that one yet. And then finally, I'm going to use the earth element like lime, and I have some very nice ones currently being cased to see how that feels because I've got to kind of, my next is to understand how the elements feel within so I can then try and help other people with it. All right. Well, I'm so glad we got there from a seemingly unrelated place with the knife. But yeah, that's that's very interesting. So it's well, it's, it's new work, and mm. it's, it's it's something that I've been working on for years. And we've translated a book, two books. One of which we had to stop. It was just driving Bolly insane. And then the second book is okay. But next, but then we kind of started interviewing one of the few make one of the few monks left who work with leg line, and it's kind of changed our understanding of it all, primarily because we're trying to avoid where they get it from, because there's lots of legends about it being coaxed out of caves and things like that, and then suddenly. <laughs> Having tried to avoid it, it looks like I'm going to be invited to a cave to see it done. Oh, wow. So it's going to be a full circle thing, which is very typical. Try and avoid something. It'll always bite you. It'll always come back on your mind. <laughs> yeah. And, I, you know, we'll just have to see how that works out. And But I'll report it all and photograph it for the next book. 
Excellent, excellent. And I did want to touch on caves at, at some point as well. Is the northern region, you said you're in Chiang Mai, is yeah. that area particularly mountainous and, and fraught with caves yeah. or are they rare? No, there's plenty of caves around here. It's the, the northern lands are beautifully mountainous. You know, a couple of thousand meters mountainous, something like that. Mm. And we're very lucky. We have fantastic weather up here as well. And some of the maddest caves that I can take people to, which are in the Supernatural Thailand book. Right, um, right. Because caves here are, are the dwelling places for spirits and for deities. As we have a, a, a spirit keeper chiming in in the background is that a cat yeah, i just heard right. it's fine she's fine that that people love listening to that they they enjoy that kind of chiming in yeah cats are welcome as long as it's not cats like a rooster or something like that natural creatures anyway yeah as long as it's not a rooster or a dog we're fine <laughs> okay but yeah. i mean you know i do love cats cats are half in this world and half in another oh world. my goodness yeah and i'll tell you what i I saw a bobcat a day or so ago, and which wow. is a rare sight where I live. They don't typically make their way this close to the you know city. I'm not in a city, but we're close enough to other cities. And yeah, they, this big bobcat crossed the street in front of us. What a sight, what a sight. I mean, they're just really beautiful animals. And it's a good good to know that their numbers are growing, but that's yeah, just gonna mean is. that they're gonna be turning up in people's yards more often. And they can, I presume they can be dangerous, but you know, you just have to, people just have to take care of these things. We need nature, right. nature is going to save us. Well, and this leads, we, we do want to touch on caves, but this does lead me into a question I had been thinking about as I was looking through the book and, and hearing your, your recent conversation with Gordon White. In the city, people have this sort of idea that, oh, you got to go out into nature, right? At least in American culture, oh, you got to go out into nature to get in touch with spirit or, or some sort of metaphysical energy, right? However they deem that. But it seems like in Thailand that the with the amount of religious art and and the way the buildings look that really they it I'm wondering is there a distinction spiritually do they consider the city to have a certain spiritual energy in contrast with the rural area or is it so still not as developed maybe as America to where you know it everywhere kind of feels that way. Well, it's uh, cities of all, first of all, they've all got a city pillar, which is the protective deity of the city. Oh, wow. Uh, which, you know, any city you go to in Thailand will have a, a city pillar and people should visit them because they're uh, made with ghosts underneath the actual pillar. Wow. People, not necessarily volunteers, but people in the olden days were taken and uh, the families compensated and they were killed and placed under those pillars. Wow. So li literally sacrificial energy literally to consecrate the memorial. From the days of old when life was cheap, like, you know, many of them have got a dead pregnant woman under there because wow. of power of having two, two deaths in one. Well, that's that's the case with a lot of the public 
squares or greens here in the east coast of the united states a lot of them were oh, wow yeah because the, when they started as colonies they would sort of have a meeting ground where the church was and the burial ground would be right next to the church and as cities grew those spots became public parks i mean new haven which i was just talking about actually has the first cemetery in america the for what we call a cemetery now which is like uh mm -hmm. paved with you know s set plots you know the original burying ground in new haven it was just a mass grave they would just sort of dig yeah. another spot open and, and throw them in and without a headstone or anything so that whole concept was sort of popularized at least in my area so i did want to <laughs> touch on but, graveyards um, at some I mean, point you know it's there's there's don't forget with the time system is that they would control every aspect of that of that procedure mm. with qatar the ghosts would be convinced to stay there to protect the city and be praised also after the allotted time the natural allotted time here they would <clears throat> become angels there now places i've been to quite a few of these places some of them do not feel like angels and uh, some of them are wild some of these city pillar uh, oh. monuments but like the one in chiang mai is definitely a tip an angel it has a completely different feeling it's very old to the point where actually they don't allow women into that one wow because of the menstrual blood thing can destroy magic and it's just we can't fight against that don't fight against it don't be a pain in the ass it just is go to another one where ladies can visit yeah it's just very particular the one in chiang mai because because of its age right you know right well we don't attract the uh, type of audience that would go and and tear down a statue they, they did that in the united states for a couple years now but yeah that is uh that is interesting so do you think that's because there are some that are more appreciated than others like are certain cities sort of leaving these structures you know in in duress i just i just think some of them are wild i don't really try and work out a reason for it right we don't know what's underneath it for a start off we don't know how that power has been directed and i'm not sure if there was ever real serious trouble came to thailand they would be brought back they would be boosted those ghosts mm. And used, you know, because I mean, it's the terrifying things are the city pillars. Yeah, you have a lot of images in this PDF I bought, and it's really beautiful. I gotta definitely link all this in the description. I think folks should even maybe purchase it now so they could hear and follow along and look at some of these images. But the cave that we were discussing earlier. Is that the same cave where this Naga serpent, I mean, the cave's wall almost looks like it's made to look like the side of a serpent. Is this a natural feature? Which cave is that? Is that the, it's Tambu? It says, it says Fu Langka. Ah, okay, okay. That's, that's really bizarre. This is new, this place. Wow. It only really came out a couple of years ago and then it was discovered a couple of years ago it couldn't be any re more remote than what it is <laughs> it's a complete pain in the ass to get there but it's one of the the most incredible places i've ever been to 
and it's it's very popular at this time so when we were climbing there was like well-known thai stars up there and all that sort of stuff and the photographs in the book do not do the place justice and that is deliberate it is somewhere that people need to go and see but getting there and even getting a ticket to get in is incredibly difficult Bon woke up every morning at midnight every night while I was trying to get a ticket. They only sell tickets two weeks in advance. And the one two weeks in advance sells out usually within about three minutes. And you have to book it online. So we may took about a week to get it, and then I had to get there on my own, which was about a four-hour drive from a city called Udon, getting there at seven in the morning. The climb... <laughs> the climb's a bit hard, they could do with a lift, but the place itself is is just unbelievable. It looks like coil, coiled serpents in yeah. a rock. Huge coiled serpents, huge, huge naga heads laying on the floor. Wow. So this yeah, these structures are, are somewhat not intact anymore, or are they somewhat pristine? What's the, the damage like? You're not allowed to touch the the rock. It's protected. It's part of a national park. They keep banning. They keep closing down to clean the place up because people keep making offerings and putting a bit of chalk on it, trying to find the number for the lottery. And but it is pristine. Yeah. Now I studied geology at university, and this place doesn't make sense because the weathering is the same on the underside of a bed as it is on top of the bed, and that is not how it happens mm. so it's just we can't work it out it's supernatural in nature in my opinion and i'm going to go back and take more photographs at some point despite the climb because and add them later i think i'll, I'll add to this book I just take a few of the really spectacular ones because i mean there were so many people there praising i stopped actually taking photographs of this place because I didn't really want to disturb them. It's very special for Thai people. Mm, yeah. And so I kept my photographs to a minimum. And it has the feeling of like, like almost like a cathedral. It's, yeah. it's really quite bizarre. You know, I mean, all of it is open. All of it can be got to. You need a kind of need a guide if you can, if you, you know, just, it's also local employment, but if you can get a ticket and if you come to Thailand, it's, it's an essential place to visit. Wow. Yeah. And, and, you know, to keep making comparisons to where I live, we have up in New England in the, in mm -hmm. the sort of New Hampshire area, several different stone structures, as well as in the New York state area that are basically spirit animals that's how the the indigenous people here would call them and you can see different you know there's a turtle there's an eagle head there's a, a cat's head even so Wonderful. yeah so this is something that you know is definitely paralleled in other places and i i can it's well this is one reason i wrote this book actually is right. to try and get people to see the same places where they are well and and because it's just a matter of opening our eyes and actually starting to praise these places. It will have a tremendous difference, make a tremendous difference to the world. 
Yes, yes. And this is this is kind of where I was leaning towards with that question earlier, and I respect your answer, so I won't, I won't make you ask it or answer it again. But to add to that, uh, past guest Peter Shampoo, he's written this mm-hmm. book called Gaia Matrix. His answer to a similar question was that, you know, we here in, in North America have disconnected from these sacred sites. They're, the ceremonies that once took place there no longer take place. The natives have been taken and put brought onto these reservations. So I know this thing hasn't happened in, in Thailand, maybe not quite in the same way, but it seems there's there's a lot of strife, at least bordering Thailand. I don't know how much of that makes its way into Thailand, but Thailand does have a sort of reputation for being, you know, a little bit like the Wild West of the East some in some ways. So I can I can appreciate your your answer too about these statues or these pillars, the city pillars, having wild energy. They can. And also, you know, Thailand's still a developing country and we find what we need to find here. Some people need to find the wild side of many aspects of life. But going back to what you said about the native Indians in America, it's my belief in America that there is such violence because you've lost control of the land spirit. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I... You've lost, you've lost that control of the land itself. And it was, was, I think it was with Greg Carlwood. We were having a chat one day, doing doing a podcast when he was talking about a detective that had been on his show investigating instant disappearances, like people turn around, turn back, and the person has gone. Yeah, David Polites yeah. missing four one one. Yes. Uh, okay, and he said, what is it? What would the Thai people see that as? I instantly just said land spirits. Mm. Wow. You know, it's, it's land spirits can be astonishingly strong. Well, and to that point, you know, people often attribute that to things like Sasquatch or even like Dogman or some of the more creepy bordering on ghost type sightings. Do you have this same thing going on in Thailand? Are there any cryptids or, or even monster-type no, creatures? Really. Not really. It's all spirits here. Mm. You know, it's ghosts and and uh, violent spirits. Right. Um, they don't really, you know, there's enough mad people here not to need such. <laughs> <laughs> well, you certainly have the forest space to, to house a, a, an ape. I'm sure you have plenty of native apes like... There's no orangutan in Thailand, but there's plenty of there's plenty of, of of monkey species, I'm sure. Yeah, but they're all small. They're just going to nip your food rather than do you any damage. You no, know, no primates then, other than no, humans. No, <laughs> no, I mean the tigers have all gone. Really, the odd one wanders in from Burma, and you know there's tiger farms nowadays, or sanctuaries as they are called but it's yeah they're losing the connection with nature here as well because of development and everything else but i feel that's about to come back Mm, yeah 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 i I think there is a sort of wave that's sweeping the whole globe that's hoping to restore our connection with gaia you know people moving away from cities becoming sustainable self-sustainable self-sufficient but when it comes to the, the Naga cave, 
is there a direct connection between the Nagas of Thailand and the Nagas of India? Because I'm sure a lot of people have heard that phrase before. I mean, there's even the Nagual in Central America, which has a sort of similar sound and, and spelling, but it, it's, you know, we would be getting into some alternative history if I tried to explain why I think there's a connection there. But I'll let you answer the, the India-Thailand connection if you're willing. Well, most of the knowledge here, most of the magical knowledge, well, the what is considered to be a structured magical knowledge, most of it came from India with the Lursi, the wandering of sea. So, yeah, I have, and Buddhism came from India as well, don't forget. Right. So, yes, the Naga came with them. And also it was a seven-headed Naga that protected the Buddha from the rain, if you may remember that aspect of Buddhism itself. So the Naga's really been a part of this world for thousands of years. But there are really those two types of, well, there's a few types of ways to think of the Naga. You see Naga shrines, which are generally just there for protection, and there's no Naga present. present yeah? That's the same with many Naga amulets. Uh, there are very few actual shrines in nature to the Naga itself that contain the Naga. There's one at Tamung, which is in the book, which again, no, no ladies on their period, please. And that's a very strange place. Have a sit down there for 20 minutes and do some meditation. And you'll have a very interesting time. Go there with your walls up if you know what I mean with that. Mm. It's a particularly haunted cave. And there's another very nice, tiny Naga shrine next to a stream in an old abandoned temple that's just been resurrected on Doisu Tear, one of the mountains here called Wat Palai. Palau, sorry. But the main Naga shrine really is at a place called Kanchanor, which is it's like a swamp area. It's very famous for a ghost story and very famous as one of the portals for the Naga to enter on the Rainbow Bridge. And the main family there is the grouping of Sisuto. And it's well worth a visit if you can get there. It's so popular with the ties, the cars can stream back a couple of kilometers. Wow. And luckily, we went in the midst of the pandemic, so we could just walk straight in. You know, the pandemic's been great for certain aspects because otherwise you just never get close to the place. You know, it's that popular for great fortune and for people seeking the help of the Naga. Right. And the the mountain you just talked about is one of the new places for the Naga, but the whole stretch of the river from Kamchanot, near to Kamchanot, around past the Naga mountain, all the way down to, say, Nakampanom, is all mystical Naga area. And it's well worth a visit because there's just something beautifully strange about the place. It's magnificent. And the Naga, really, I see them as an elemental force. They're one of the forces of nature. And in the past two or three years, there's been some very bizarre film coming out of that area of green snakes swimming upside down in the water, you know, just doing really weird things. And even in that area, when they plough a field, they plough it in a certain way not to interrupt the movement of the Naga on the land. It's just 
it's there it's that area that is the important part for it mm. and i think they're rising and people's interest in them is rising because of the state of the earth you know and thailand if things go the way we think they are with the astrology over the next eight or ten years thailand will rediscover its connection fully with nature which would be of great benefit to the country in my opinion yeah yeah and i'd i'd feel like i left something out if i didn't make the correlation to ley lines based on what you just said about you know farmers taking care to not yeah. disrupt the naga as they you know yeah, yeah. and this is you know exactly what we see here again on the the east coast we have all these ley line alignments that were memorialized with stone structures and now it's sort of a, a puzzle to piece some of them together because a lot of those stones were redistributed to make fencing and things when uh, when the colonists yeah. came in and, and started farming right so well there's some very talented magicians in the u.s and they just need to focus on sorting that out and they're talented enough to be able to do that mm. Well, thank you. We we need some more credit over here. Appreciate that. Everything, and in my opinion, there are talented people all over the world who can do this, but they need to get together and do it. Mm. Well, and this yeah, is this is the difference in Thailand. They can work as a unit. Okay. Whereas the West is more individualistic, of course. Mm. You know, but I mean, with things coming that are coming. I think the magicians will start working together as well. I, I think that will happen to try and combat things that are on the horizon. Well, and you yeah. mentioned you mentioned the rainbow that the Naga flies through or something to that effect. The, the rainbow bridge. The rainbow bridge. World powers. Well, we were just having a, a, a conversation on the podcast I mentioned earlier with a gentleman named William Henry, and he was describing to us how the, the National Rotunda at Washington, D.C., within it, George Washington is seen on a rainbow bridge and <laughs> and we were we were sort of laughing at the the connection between that and what we had discussed earlier about like the warriors of the rainbow this prophecy that is described by the native americans and i sort of made the comparison like hey look at what we're doing with this internet you know this this rainbow is streaming through these plastic and wire cords and appearing through our screens allowing you know this light and sound that is the podcast here to be broadcast to many different people uniting us all in the same way you're describing so i hope in a way we can both be a part of that i know you certainly have with your authorship and your your very very deep research but when it comes to the regions you described you know having sort of contrast between different regions that makes sense i think there's you know multiple seven or eight distinct different ethnic groups of thai people right so within yeah. those different groups there's going to be plenty of you know sort of crossover but also uniqueness so would you say your area that you're in chiang mai has a certain energy that's unique to to chiang mai and and in comparison where else do you you like to visit in thailand because you mentioned a lot about the nagas and these mountains along the river what other landscape features are pronounced in thailand well you know if the regions do have their own feeling but it's all thailand and what comes out really now 
is the different cultures from the different people. That is all just part of the Thai cauldron, the Thai pot of information, pot of knowledge, pot of living. And we just interviewed a Thai Yayan magician, a very famous one. We're very lucky to get it. And the differences between their magic and, say, in the raw parts of the Northeast, which are more influenced by Khmer magic, so it kind of can be perceived to be darker. And then compare that with Central Thai magic, which is generally more ritualistic. It's and kind of closer, really, to Brahmanism. Really, it's got Brahmanistic influences. So this just goes on. And to be honest with you, my books <clears throat> really are just an introduction. They're the first go at looking at this sort of thing, you know, and trying to work out what the hell is going on here, because it's all been present for thousands of years, un uninterrupted, which makes it extreme, an extremely valuable resource. And I think in the next generation of people that come, somebody will have to look at it all again and reappraise it for that generation. But in the meantime, we kind of have to find a way through the knowledge that we are receiving and at the same time live within the world here because there's no i'm not going to be some sort of mad person sitting in the middle of a jungle not yet anyway like um, <laughs> but for me personally visiting places i love caves i'm a I'm, caves just really do it for me and if i want a day out on my own to replenish and uh, just immerse, I will generally go to one of the caves of this region. And they just sit for a few hours and they come back completely refreshed. And we're going to have to find ways to do that, I think, as a human race as well. You know, mm. we need the places of power to kind of be, you know, to be born again every time we go. But in my opinion, actually, you know, I was thinking of the one of the questions you may ask was if these places are not available, what the hell do we do? You know, if we can't, I, I don't know what I'd do now without these places to visit, to be honest, because I wouldn't have my resource, if that makes sense, and the refreshment available. And I suppose the only way to do it would be to create your own supernatural space within your home with an altar and do it in the correct way and that will eventually act as your battery brilliant yeah wow yeah, i tried because, to i mean we've got to we've got to find a way to adapt all this and to, yeah. to use it and we're not all in the position where we're sat in the middle of chiang mai you know right but there, I, I'm a believer in that there's a way for everything, even the more esoteric practices to be done outside this country. Well, and and one thing that I will say, you know, you mentioned this being an intro. I think people often get a little like, uh, as an English speaker speaking just for myself here, <laughs> you know, a little flabbergasted. But then when you see the translations of these words. It, it starts to make a lot more sense and, and you start to realize like, oh, okay, this is a very universal thing that any human being can get behind. Yes, it's a very deep part of Thai culture. I don't know 
how many other countries have such a high percentage of you know one religion right it's like 94 percent of the country all is a you know theraveda buddhist right so that's kind it's of actually it's actually pronounced i only found out this reason it's terraweed now oh, okay. why it's why it's spelled that way <laughs> no idea but this is classic isn't it right. i've been pronouncing it in exactly the same way but in thailand it's terraweed Okay. Well, thank you. I I appreciate it. We, you know, New Englanders often butcher many words, even in well, our own. I've always <laughs> thought that that was the way that we pronounce it. And I found out last year, after all this time of being here, no, it's not. And no one's ever corrected me. Oh, wow. <laughs> and and I should ask, you know, you've been there since 91, correct? Right? This, I mean, I, I was... Came, I came here first in 91. I moved here in 2001. Okay. Well, I was born in 1994, so the for the majority of my life, you've been in Thailand. But where were you before that? In Manchester, originally. Okay, excellent. I think we've had a guest or two on from Manchester before. I don't yeah. remember who. I don't want to don't want to upset anyone, so I'll keep my mouth shut on who I suspect <laughs> that it's is. It's always best not to talk about Mancunian. <laughs> well, either way, you know, I think language certainly can bring, you know, barriers. It can also open up doors. And you mentioned earlier in this conversation that the, the Thai language is extremely magical. And I've heard you talk about... Well, it's, it's magic itself, you know, there right. was... I remember there was one instance where we were sat in the car driving a couple of guests around and Bond's quiet, you know, just sat there, just, you know, being Thai. And then one of the guests said, so what magic do you study? To his Bond turned around and said, my culture is magic. Everything is based on magic. Even parts of the language are based on magic, which is why it's so really incredibly difficult to unravel a translation or even speak Thai, to be honest with you, because one thing can mean God knows how many other things if you take it back through history and the influences on those words. Right. Well, and it's, it's quite remarkable. I can't get my head around it, and I live here. Yeah, no, and, and I think that's just speaks to the true power of human consciousness. And, and as much as I think we should all have a, a common ground, I don't think we should have a global language, you know. Maybe we need a no, sort of bridged language, but there is certainly a, a case to be made to preserve these unique places. And you are, are I think, making a, a really good case for it in a, in a totally unique way. So, yeah, I... I, Ajahn, I must say that Ajahn Deng, who is uh, one of the greatest Satyanajans in this region, he part-time teaches Lana because he's worried that people are going to forget it. Mm, right. Because of the influx of Central Thai and TV and all that sort of stuff. He's worried about Lana being lost. It'll take a very long time, but he's making the effort to teach people. And he even does it online for free, I think, more or less. Well, that's really good and, and admirable. And I congratulate you and him for, for that because, yeah, it's not just something symptomatic of Thailand. It's everywhere where people are sort of losing their connection with the ancestral 
lineage, especially the ancestral lineage of, you know, wisdom keepers. And I hope that podcasts can work to preserve this, you know, body of information as, as best as we can as individuals. But when it comes to, well, think, go ahead. I think it can open the door to have a look. Yeah. I mean, never forget, I think, I don't know about this. I've never followed another form of magic, but I think with most magic, you will gain power from the actual lineage itself. It's certainly the case here. They call on their lineage of magicians to help with things. And it can bring a great amount of potency from certain lineages. And also, I mean, you know, on a very simple level, your if your parents have passed already, they can, and your grandparents, they can be used for rather potent protection mm. if you keep them and tap and connect to them. And don't forget them, praise them. You know, two incense is the best way when praising your mother and father as a couple. And it's... You know, I mean, if anybody's ever had a title like mine, you know, you wouldn't want any more protection than that, to be frank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, well, and... Yeah, he, was, he was something, you know. Yeah, and, and on that point, you know, the family unit, our Thai families generally large, tight-knit, typical of... Tight-knit, yeah. They generally also have a shrine with, or have photographs of their departed family members on the wall. And yeah, it's all just part and parcel of the collection of things that are available to people and the respect that they show for those who came before, you know, I mean, we've got to say thank you. People don't, I think it's really important, you know, Mark, to say thank you in this world for what we get and what we have. And I remember back in 2020, when they were looking at this decade, and the one thing that the person I was reading, it was an astrologer, just saying, look, you need to find your spirituality for this decade. It's the biggest thing in the decade. Find a spirituality and get close to it because it will save your life. It will make the decade easier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly... A message it's that's happening, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's a message that's well received, at least in this community. And I think a lot of people who tied themselves too closely to science, maybe in spite of religion or spirituality, had a, a tougher time. And maybe there's a an agenda well, there. I mean. You know, magic is a science, I'm afraid. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and I, I should I should say I'm really kind of generalizing this sort of scientism that seems to have emerged, at least in the West. But uh, I just I just think we're all thinking a bit hard, to be honest with you. Everything's too linear. Everybody, you know, you, you will understand what I mean with the current state of the U.S., which is very sad to see, to be honest. Mm. Well, and this is this is partly why, as a um, maybe a magical, mystical choice, I I try to stay as little informed as possible in that sense of you know being tuned in with what's going on, you know. And I think yeah. being in a place like Thailand probably <laughs> makes you feel even more removed from Western culture in in a certain it only, way. It only has power if you give it credence. Right. Right. And the problem is, is that everybody's relating what is going on to something that's important to them. It's just drama. 
<laughs> and they're using it to manipulate people to get what they want. Always look at the backstory. And at the end of the day, it's not that important, to be frank. Right. You know, I mean, I was one of the things, you know, one of the things that I've always kind of wondered about was, you know, I come from a simpler, kind of a simpler time, really. And it's like, one of the shocks has been actually finding out what my friends think. And I've known these guys for like 45 years. <laughs> <laughs> and we've only just found out, well, they just found out how naughty they are, or you, know, you don't believe that, do you? Oh. You know, and it's, it's kind of, you know, it's, it should be personal, all that stuff. It, they are weaponizing people. Mm. And they're only going to that effort because they want to manipulate people. And as soon as we can get to that point, things will get easier. Yeah. Where we understand that, in my opinion. Well, and it, it's a double-edged sword in that way because I think, you know, you hit on something that gravitates a lot of people to this show, right? Your friends might think you're a little crazy, and that's fine. You're more that's than welcome. They do. I mean, they never been in doubt <laughs> until now, Mark, you know, because, you know, we're all individuals, and this is the wonderful thing about people. Right. Right. Well, Christ, could you imagine if we were all the same, how dreadful that would be? No, I mean, yeah. And, and with my sort of point I was trying to get to is with magic being a double-edged sword in the sense that you don't want everybody to know your mojo, right? And, and maybe that adds to the Thai culture by it being sort of insular but then at the same time it could be detrimental in the sense that maybe that risks it not being carried on if it's kept too tight close to the chest then people are like well i'm just going to get into this modern thing and, and forget about my roots magic is there mm. on all levels to enhance the human being mm. to enhance the person I think at first when people get into this stuff, yes, they want to, we all do it. Have you seen what I'm wearing around my neck? It might be a baby's hand or something, you know, as an extreme example. Yes, that all has credence. Yes, it has cool factors and all the rest of it. And yes, it's completely insane. But once you break through the effects of the ego and start to ignore it as it should be ignored, yeah, and to regain an equilibrium, these things can be used in very profound ways, in just from the way you are, just from having studied it, yeah? having being able to view without thinking, which we were discussing earlier. You know, it's there to change the person. When you are that person, you then don't want to tell people about it. If they ask, then you tell them. But you're not going to force it down anybody's throat. Right. And that, I think, getting that back into the world would be of such benefit to people. We don't need to be told everything all the time, but we do need to discover. Right. Right. Well said. Yeah. And, and gratitude certainly helps <clears throat> humble a person to, to be able to have the awareness to see when those events come, you know, and to be grateful yeah. is a gift, not just to yourself, but to others. Right. And also it can be with any religion. It can be with any belief system, the sense of gratefulness. 
Right. You know, it's it's quite profound to be honest. I say thank you every morning to the stuff I pray to, but that can be anything. Well, and when it comes to personal ceremony, you mentioned earlier lighting two incense for your your past parents or maybe grandparents. When it comes to plants, are there certain plants that are central to Thai magic and Thai culture that are used? Because, I mean, here in North America, sagebrush, cedar, tobacco, mm-hmm. sweet grass, those are considered like smudging herbs and they're very sacred for cleansing and, and removing yeah. negative spirits. Are those, do they have parallels in Thailand, those plants? I think every, I think every culture has a parallel unless right. the culture is being destroyed. I mean, here, cigarettes are offered to the ghosts because the ghosts like to kick back and relax. Alcohol is offered to the ghosts, which is the same in every single culture that praises ghosts or uses ghosts. It's the same in Haitian voodoo, everyone, all the ATRs, the African traditional religions, all the shamans of, you know, Northern Europe and Northern Asia, all that stuff. It's all, it's all very similar in many respects, you know. Um, there's a syncretism, again, that we've discussed. That's important with all this stuff. And, you know, it's... I just think the practice itself is what we need to do and just separate ourselves. Right. Well, and I have a question about a specific plant and, and what it... Oh, the plants, that's it, okay. No, no, and... No, 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 you're fine. You, you, you answered my question just fine. I'm just... Oh, it goes a lot further than that. Oh, go, go well, <laughs> let me let you go on, but I just want to bring this up real quick because Kratom, and you might have a different pronunciation for it, but there's a certain Thai plant, I may be Kratom, maybe I'm mistaking it with something else. Oh, Kratom, okay. That's yeah. more of a high. Now, it's a very gentle high. Yeah, and, and it's become very popular in the United States recently. Oh, and I'm just, nice. I'm wondering, you know, what the, how the Thais use it properly. Is it a part of a spiritual culture? Does it have a sort of energy that, you know, because here in America, plants are like entities, right? To certain Native Americans, mm-hmm. it has a, a spirit in itself. Tobacco is a, a pro, a proper noun, not a, a a noun, right? It's a, it's a being. Do they have that same sense of plants in Thailand? Not with kratom. Okay. Uh, it's just there to get you a bit high. <laughs> okay. Because it's Buddhist, you see, so they right, don't have right. they don't... hallucinogens and stuff like that. They don't rely on stuff like that. I mean, you know, one of the five precepts is not to drink alcohol. Yeah. Right. So they want to. They don't want the influence on the brain in that way. Like all systems, the there's a plant to clean, spiritually cleanse the body, which is called sunboy, which I often send to people if they ask for it, if they order something or want an amulet. You know, I often send them sunboy to keep clean. The herbal system here is just enormous. I've not even gone there to be honest with. And incredibly complicated. So not only are some famous, there's many famous herbs here. One example, okay, would be which you use in the West, but here it's called Makuaba, which is translates really as the insane love plant. <laughs> it's used actually in the same way as the West, whereby it's for love attraction and for enchantment. Wow. Yeah? 
So it's, uh, here, they, there's a whole system to growing it. You have to use blessed water. You have to say the guitar to the plant as it grows to instill it with magic. Right. If you are picking plants in the wild, some plants have to be picked on a certain day according to astrology. Some plants can only be picked, let's say, in the full moon or New Year or... It has to be cut in a certain way. Some plants, you can't let your shadow fall on the plant when you cut it. Some plants has to be bitten off by the person when naked. You know, they, <laughs> and it just goes on forever. Right. And I've never done the plants, to be honest with you, because it would just end up looking like a gardening book. Mm. It'd be really quite tedious. Well, in the same way that the Congo and the Amazon have been sort of sought out for for the plant oddities, has the Thai rainforest been sought after for this same thing? Is China in there taking, you know, these plants and turning them into pharmaceuticals? Well, the pharmaceutical countries of the West are actually the ones that have been really... About 10 years ago, they put a call out, the government put a call out for the herbal knowledge of this country so they could test whether it's any use to actually patent yeah Um, aka come in and corrupt yeah it's it's just part of the process everywhere and it's okay i'm sure there's hundreds that they haven't tested because berman's their plant regimen and herbal law is is just insanely big and it's something non-invisible touched basically and the knowledge of it is kept the names are kept secret of many of them you know it's it's a it's a bit that might take another 20 years to open to be honest with you mm, wow yeah the uh, the turret it's interesting it was used to to suppress a, a rebellion here in the united states at one point in our oh, history wow. they used they called it jimson weed back then or jamestown weed and the, the, there's this you know sort of upheaval or uprising of people in the government or at least the colonial government used it to sort of calm people down or subdue them so yeah, it's yeah. interesting that uh, this plant, I'm sure they had some knowledge of it when they r- arrived in the new world, seeing it from the old world. But yeah, that's definitely uh, an interest of mine, but certainly, you know, not totally uh, detailed in the book there. So just kind of a tangent that I wanted to it's, go down. I've, I've done a few, I've mentioned a few in the book, but it's just huge and a book on the herbal law here would just as i say look like a gardening book right and they're not going to tell you how they instill bring more power into it you know there's qatar for every plant i Mm. think from what they've said but it's it's just enormous man and i think it kind of kept it's knowledge that's kept at the moment Mm. Fascinating. Now, when it comes to animals, do they have a sort of place as, you know, totems or omens? Certain animals mean certain things within a spiritual context? Well, I mean, you know, they follow the animal system of the Chinese-based animals. Okay, right. Right. And there's certain things you can do if you're born in the tiger year and certain things you can't do. I can't have actual tiger tattoos on my body, otherwise I'll be too tiger, too much tiger. 
I was born in the year of the dog. I don't know what that. Be kind to me, tiger. <laughs> and well, I think tigers don't eat dogs. I think they eat horses. Okay. So I think I'm safe. A, tig- a, a, a person born in the year of the horse can't have a tiger because it will eat them. Mm. There's certain tattoo combinations you can't have as well. But there's magic associated with many different animals of old. The tiger magic's the most famous, but there's also supernatural animals like when a dewdrop, which is a small lizard, grows two tails. It's extremely good for good fortune. Beetles' wings, because they were worn as adornment for love magic. Snake skin for evasion and for impenetrable skin and deer skin for meta, for kindness, because deer have that element within them. Cats are used, but they have to be stillborn or or die naturally within the womb of the mother cat. And they are phenomenally good for money, attracting money, and also for potent protection of the home. They become a little tiger in that position. And boar's teeth for authority because a boar is so terrifyingly strong. What else is the centipedes? I think centipedes are for protection. Spiders, similar. They're for knocking back black magic. You know, if you have a tarantula, a dried tarantula in an amulet, people will definitely stay away. What about birds or anything on dragonflies? No, not really. Can't think of any bird that's used except for. They would have used the beautiful feathers of birds for adornment, but that's not translated into the magic. Bulls for protection like a protective spirit, like a humpion, are used. It's like a protected land spirit, and they're used to protect the land. But no parts of the bull are used unless, say, it's killed by lightning, because then it becomes supernatural. I think that's about it, really. It's quite big. The animism has survived here from ancient times. Right. Well, and you, you brought up... Very little they've consciously forgotten. Yeah. There's only a couple of very special things that they're looking for how to do it. Yeah, no, that's definitely evident. And I appreciate you running us through a a bunch of them real quick there. You mentioned tattoos and and I know this is a a big part of your first book or or the first book that I became aware of, Thai Occult, right? And, And I had never even considered that you know i don't have any tattoos i i just preferred just not to maybe out of fear of the pain or whatever but but it you know it's not like i'm over here you know with a bunch of tattoos but i was fascinated because you know here in america there's a certain like set of images this sort of cliche tattoos that people get and i wonder you know do you think that this translates in other languages or have they perfected the science of making these, you know, sigil tattoos? Well, first you have to look at the tattoos from other countries. Yeah. And I would suggest that any tattoo that is made that involves ritual has meaning to the person and therefore there is magic within it. Mm. It's about faith and meaning. Yeah. But the difference here with the tattoos is that they embody the tattoo within the body. 
they use a katana to give it life. So it's like an individual little battery of stuff that you want, yeah? a particular type of magic that you want. There are people who copy that, which is a great shame because it's incredibly disrespectful to the system and it will bring you bad luck. We've had people come to kind of remedy tattoos that they've had that are not real because they feel that it's really affecting their lives. But, you know, it's it's kind of amazing what they can do on the body here. I've got tattoos that they've been able to turn into a Satyam tattoo by adding script because there's a full body there. But I've also got the blue tattoos on me of the bones of a chinchok. And I asked the Jan if he could do that. He said, but it's dead already. I can't bring it to life. It's just a skeleton, you know. To which my really rather disrespectful responses, is there no zombie magic? I <laughs> 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 have to ask, you know what I mean? You never know. <laughs> but I don't know of any other system. There are tattoos around the world that are related to ritual, which is ritual is beautiful. Uh, related to shamanism and New Zealand tattoos, all that sort of thing. But there is none that actually embodies the tattoo with life. And I've got a few tattoos from one or two Ajans in particular that I can feel their separate life on my skin. I can pull on them if I want the use of that tattoo. Wow. Yeah, no, and I've... Like I said, I heard you say that. I think it was on Greg Carlwood's show, actually, when I first heard your, your interview. And wow, yeah, that really stuck with me, this concept of the tattoo being a magical tool, in other words. And, and another thing that stuck out from your latest book that I got in touch with, which is, of course, Supernatural Thailand, you have these spirit houses that people seem to make in special places maybe even on their property near their home is that true mm -hmm. yes we give a place for we build a small home for the land spirits mm. at the house resides on yeah it can be of two types they can be of a type where people have died on that land as in it's been residences there before or it can be the other type which is just basically buddhist and it depends on the region of the country as well. But I mean, I've not done my, I've not offered incense to my spirit house this morning. So I'll do that after this interview. Oh yeah, please don't, don't delay it's that. A nice, it's a nice, it's a nice way to connect. And it's a nice way to practice the connection that you have with any spirits that are around. Right. Yeah. I, I, come across several different what are called fairy houses in this one state park here in Connecticut. So that's what came to mind when when I saw this. And yeah, I think there's a theory that the people who settled in the British Isles initially maybe came from as far away as India. So who knows? Maybe there's a connection there. But yeah, it is interesting. Well, that the difference is, is that here they... They have to be kind of spiritually constructed. There is magic underneath the spirit house to hold, to kind of make the land spirit nice 
<laughs> it's probably a sandwich or something. There's takrut. Uh, takrut is a uh, piece of metal with a spell on it underneath the spirit house, and the jam bless that spirit house, and it's there. It's within that spirit house, and they have to face a certain way. They like certain plants next to them. Mm-hmm. They like certain offerings, five incense. And you've got to be careful if people come here and buy a spirit house and just put it on the land. And, you know, wandering spirits can end up living in them. And, you know, you kind of need to know a little bit about what you're doing. But if they've done that, we can also make candle magic to help control any uppity land spirits and put them and keep them doing the job that they're meant to do. Because one of the strengths of this region in particular, its main strength is candle magic. And the range of what's available is just phenomenal. Wow. Yeah, I recently heard a a folk tale that talked about how in England, at a certain Mm -hmm. period in history, they would measure a man that was going to be hanged by with a with a piece of wick and then they would make a candle at that size and burn it to sort of help his spirit pass on after he was hung wow and i'm wondering I didn't know that well is there any sort of ceremonial practice to making candles or are the the colors of different candles important what's what it, the colors are there's three, <clears throat> only really three colors: yellow, red, and black. Okay. And, you know, and there is a specific color for the type of the candle, but the wick has to have a certain amount of threads in it for each different type of candle, and the wick is wrapped in spell, basically, and it can be pretty complex these spells, and the best ones I use are John Dewey. For, for most of my candle magic, and he writes the spell by hand, many and constructs it by hand, and sends a photograph to me of the spell to send to the person who's brought the magic, and their name is within the spell. And Thai candle magic is awesome. Lana, particularly northern Thai candle magic, is awesome. And a lot of things can be solved with it. Yeah, I've, not many people actually do it by hand. They'll have one printed or, you know, for the famous candle types, they just have one printed and then bless it, which is all right, depending on the quality of the ajan involved or the monk. But to have somebody actually handwrite it and recite kata while they're doing it is really very special to find in this in this modern world. Mm, yeah. No, I always try to, when I do buy candles, try to buy them from a, a certain local company that I know has a certain care that they put into making the candles. But yeah, I think there's sort of mass produced, like it's like a, a Spanish glass. It's all written in Spanish with like a picture of Jesus on it. Right. This is like the, <laughs> this right, is, isn't it? this is like the trope, you know, that's like what people get around here when sadly, when they pass it, you'll see like hundred or however many people were there at their memorial. They'll leave all these Jesus candles at the site of their, their passing, you know? So sometimes wow. you'll drive by this on the road, you'll see a bunch of candles where a person died. Is there any practices around that if somebody dies or is murdered? Or- somebody, well, it was on TV yesterday morning, actually, we were watching that. 
somebody died, couldn't get out of the car, crashed and couldn't get out of the car in the ditch and they died overnight. So the family went there and they chanted to help the spirit understand that they died, because often the spirit doesn't know they've died, and to try and move on. And then the monks went back and did the same job as well, because, you know, ghosts like that can be can be dangerous. They can make people crash and affect their focus when they're going past the area. And you drive past certain areas in Thailand, there'll be hundreds of spirit houses, all housing wandering spirits or spirits of people who've died on the road. Wow. Uh, in an attempt to stop them killing other people. Are there any sorts of warnings to travelers to like warn them that they're about to go through an area that could have... Be careful. They shouldn't have a sign like, be careful of ghosts or maybe the zombie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would love to know. I mean, geez, yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to see that, you know, Mark. Um, oh, wow. No, but you will hear people pull their horn when they're going past. Okay. Wow. To make a loud noise to scare the ghost away. Now, are there any, on the point of travelers or people on journeys, are there any certain types of magic that go with being a traveler? Any sort of blessings or deities that you need to be in good alignment with? Well, there's actually travel, there's actually magic for traveling. To keep you safe while traveling. Ponkampai is called. And I, we did one of those, which is sold with the come. If you buy that, you actually get the PDF of the Supernatural Thailand free because it is a travel book. So we wanted to keep people safe while they are traveling because, you know, Thai roads are not the, Thai driving is not the best, shall we say. Mm. And the roads can be very dangerous. So, yeah. And so you just need a takrut or you need a high Buddhist amulet to try and keep you safe because, and that works anywhere, works in the state, it'll work anywhere. Yeah, that's, that's what I was about to ask, you know, as we're winding down here, I know you probably want to get on with your day as it's just starting here. Mine's sort of coming to a finish, but how, how applicable is all of this to, to people? I mean, obviously we want people to come and experience Thailand themselves, but if they can only take a book home with them and, or maybe even, an amulet how effective like can they find parallels obviously we've discussed a couple of them today but can they find parallels in their own community and begin to maybe because i'm sure there's people who are you know immigrants who maybe want to you know feel a connection that could be lost over a couple generations right people have become americanized or even you know i don't know how many thai actually emigrate to other countries but i've met well you know there's 77 77th uh, provinces actually la (laughs) (laughs) oh wow okay big 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 thai community there well then yeah just had a, a young lady come back wanting to go and get some the best traditional tattoos she could find Mm. because she's exploring shamanism and it's a shamanistic society with a Buddhist overlay here. It's animist, you know? Right. I think really, you know, we're going back to again, what we said, what I said earlier, I think if you like it, just dip your toe in. Don't think so much about it. The first night, the first job I had is to try and stop people putting themselves at the center of the magic. I think that's the first job to get out of putting yourself there. Right. So the important thing 
before that is just to start and try it. If you like it, if you're suited to it, continue. But it is a journey, even having an amulet. Having amulets is the, the start of a journey. And that journey can change us, change the way we see the world, change everything within us that people don't really quite understand yet because it's only just starting, you know. Absolutely. And that's what we discussed in the last book. That's going to be hopefully out in September, something like that. Right on. Because we have to kind of, I didn't want to do this in many ways because, and I'm I carefully worried about what we've discovered in the last seven years by doing it and following the practice of praising ghosts and deities and all the rest of it has to be carefully worded because the important thing is the experience of the person who's doing it, not my telling them how it feels. So it's experiential. We have to learn from the experience of the life itself. And, you know, instead of wanting to know the answers, it's just, it's like martial arts. You'd be told to kick a bag and after a million times of doing it, you might be good at it. Yeah, we just have to learn from the process itself and allow it to work on us. So, you know, the first job is starting. Second job is to get ourselves out of the magic, not to try and control it, not to be the center of it. And after that, life changes. Wow. Brilliantly said, and thank you so much, Peter Jenks. This has been a really interesting very unique first time diving into the culture that is Thailand and all the magical aspects. I really appreciate it. And yeah, it is like martial arts. I mean, we have to be the way. Isn't it amazing with Thailand, you know, this is just part of the continuation of the opening of this culture. You know, we had Thai food, Thai, Thai martial arts, Thai massage, and now we're looking at time magic and there's so much more. I always get the feeling we're just scratching the surface. Mm. It's phenomenally deep culture. Well, and I brought up Peter Shampoo in this conversation and he likes to interpret the like landscape energies. And I'll say just looking with my own eyes, the shape of Thailand, it has this sort of, almost like feminine look to it, almost like a womb, right? So I think, yes, Thailand is birthing maybe a whole new impression that'll change the global culture for good, I think, you know? Well, I think, I, I think it can always act as a place to come and be, mm. which is what we miss in the world many times. And I think it's important as a spiritual center will rise with what, the astrology is predicting this particular decade. I think it will become more important as a source of kind of spiritual survival in many ways. Mm. Yeah. And to that point, I mean, it, it's definitely something you and Gordon touched on in your conversation on rune soup. I recommend people go and check that out because yeah, there's a lot that people need to consider moving forward into this new world that we're heading into. And, and yeah, we, well, I think everybody knows stuff's coming. Hmm. Yeah. And having an indication of what it might be can help with 
deciding what to do with life and rather than stressing about it it's going to happen anyway i mean you know in some way shape or form can't avoid that we just have to work out what the hell we're going to do and i think the process of working out what the hell we're going to do might just save the planet yeah it's always at the final hour right well, we're on, the, we're on the edge. We're just walking a bit of a tightrope at the moment. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, one last question before we go, sir. And I know you sort of answered this in a way, but you're on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Does your family think you're crazy for all the work you My mum, bless her, she passed in 2020, just before the pandemic. She got out just in time, which is typical of the mum. She always used to say to me, because I've had a very unusual life, and when we started doing, when we got, she got the first book, and particularly when she got the, the big book, she said, we don't know where we got you from, but we're glad you were around. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, wow. I well, think that tells you everything about what my family thinks about me. Well, yes, and thank you, yeah. <laughs> She was very funny. Sorry, motorcycles speeding by at the at the worst timing. But either way, Peter Jenks, thank you so much. And yeah, I thank you, I've I've felt that way myself. So you're you're right at home here. And yeah, truly an honor to speak with you today. And I look forward to reading further and and checking out the amulets. I think people should go and link up and see everything that you have to offer. Can you tell them before we go where the best place to support you is to get the books to, you know, even, you know, get a, an amulet as we discussed today? Well, first of all, I think we should try again once again, the next part out because the next book is perhaps the most important one I've done. It's certainly looking that way. If people want to investigate further what we do, there's a page on Facebook, the Tire Cult Books, and there's a website where people can go and look at some of the stranger things that we sell, thetirecult.com, all one word, all lowercase. And then you will probably have the same opinion as my mum. <laughs> <laughs> I'd hope not. Not at least from this audience. But yes, Peter, I'd love to have you back on. I appreciate you offering. And uh, yeah, I look forward to what you come out with next. And yeah, on to the next one. For everyone listening, thank you so much. And immerse yourself in the ever-expanding now, wherever that takes you, even Thailand. All right, what a truly fascinating conversation with Peter Jenks and all the way across the world. This is a pretty far distance. I've had guests from Australia. I've had guests on in Mexico, in Norway, in New Zealand even, I believe, if my memory serves me correct. And now, here today, we have a guest from Thailand. Initially from England, I believe. And uh, yeah, it's a true pleasure to finally get to speak to Peter. I remember listening to his appearance on the Higher Side Chats and being very fascinated. It was one of those podcasts that you just remember where you were when you listened to it. So it was a pleasure. I recommend his books. 
you can get them in PDF form and they are great, especially if you're planning on traveling to Thailand. I would recommend it. Get those books, learn as much as you can and immerse yourself in a totally unique culture. As far as the show goes, we've got another really fantastic episode coming out soon and an amazing, amazing episode 200 planned. So stay tuned. We're on our way towards our third year of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Almost on to the second anniversary this October 5th. So second anniversary, two years of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. It's really, really, really cool to have gotten this far and have as many listeners as we do with us here on the show listening every week and uh, supporting on Patreon and with one-time donations, picking up the scene, edition one, PDF. It's really touching and I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart, every single one of you who spend your valuable time listening to the show. I hope you get a lot out of it and I hope you get a lot out of this next episode that's coming out. I recorded it today and I decided it was so great that it's not going to wait. It's going to be on the Patreon immediately and it's going to be on Rockfin immediately and it's going to be out this Thursday. So stay tuned and look forward to that. A big, big guest. And it's only going to get better from here, folks. Two years in. We've got a long way to go from here. Many goals still haven't accomplished all of them. And even if I do accomplish some, I'll be setting two for every one goal that I accomplish. That's how you strive. That's how you keep yourself alive, mind, body, and soul. Stay away from the hive. Yes, we can swarm together, but let's not forget and remember to be an independent bee don't be just another worker bee be the change you wish to see in the world and that's off the top of my head folks we're not doing any notes for this outro we never do notes for the outro all the intros are written out that's how i've been doing them lately tell me what you think leave a five-star review on apple that really helps the show grow let me know what you think kind messages will be read i really appreciate everybody helping out and uh yeah that's it for this episode explore thailand help out peter jenks pick up some of his books you can also check out the amazing amulets that they have for sale really really special stuff i imagine you should request the right amulet and the best way to do that is by talking to peter yourself And he's really easy to get in touch with. His email is on his website and the website is linked in the description. Of course, I got to say, support the show on Patreon. It's only two, three, four, five dollars away. However much you want to support. And you get access to all the videos, all the bonus content, all the audio and everything I add along the way. I'm always coming up with new ideas. I've not done another Patreon telegram meetup group zoom meeting we're gonna do one for august hopefully 
And of course, I haven't done any spirit animal names, but I can do those if you guys want them. Uh, anyways, Patreon, that's the best way to support the show. It's all encompassing. But if you don't like Patreon, we have a really awesome new way for you to support the show. There's a $5 tier. And this $5 tier is on Kofi.com, the same place where you can buy the Scene Edition 1. And I'm going to be uploading all of our bonus content from here on out on the Kofi store. It might take me a while to upload the archive because I have to do it one at a time. So, you know, Patreon's still for now the best place. But if all you care about is supporting the show and you have a philosophical uh obstacle with patreon which i completely understand i'm only using it because it seemed to be the best option when i started um but if you have that philosoph philosophical uh objection to patreon i understand completely so you can support the show with a five dollar membership monthly tier you just put it in forget about it you'll be supporting the show each month and you get access to all the bonus content from here on out and like i said i'll be sure to upload the archives and just make sure that it's essentially a clone of patreon everything that goes on patreon is going to go on ko-fi the same way that most of the stuff that goes in the rss feed makes it to the youtube channel notice how i said most of the stuff because youtube as much as we appreciate all the youtube listeners and the youtube subscribers and the youtube supporters you gotta eventually switch over to a podcast app i mean even if you use spotify or apple it's still better than youtube so uh, they're not all perfect but thanks to adam curry and the podcast 2.0 index you can use a small podcast app and have access forever to this show even if the big platforms go and censor us and they say oh that episode you did with mike winter and dr bear lando oh you talked about the big c that's too dangerous we're gonna censor that episode you don't know who knows maybe spotify will take it off who knows maybe youtube will take it off i don't know but i know that the podcast apps that i use like podcast addict are hooked up directly to the podcast 2.0 index which is basically a backup for the same podcast index that Apple and Spotify and all the rest grab the podcasts from that you see on their various apps. It's a very decentralized sort of way to share media, and that's where Alt Media United comes in. And we have a new show that I've been recording with my friend Al from the podcast Forum Borealis all the way out there in Norway. We're going to be getting into those sorts of tech podcasting, freedom of speech type of conversations directly on that show. Uh, why do I want to do that show that way? Well, Al is a really awesome dude. He's very, very intelligent. And I'm just, you know, uh, American cultural product that's deprogramming himself. And it's cool to have his European perspective. Um, as much as I enjoy speaking with all of my friends from here in the States and Canada, I enjoy podcasts like this episode with Peter Jenks, talking to someone who's all the way in Thailand, learning about his culture, 
that he is a you know sort of a immigrant himself too so that's just what you know you can expect more from and i think with that show alt media united which has its own rss feed of course you're gonna see that side of my interests expressed in that podcast we have a multifaceted approach sam tripoli recently said on the latest episode of tinfoil hat that he thinks i'm coming for his throne of having the most podcasts and i'm not i got a lot of work on my plate sam i appreciate you saying that but uh yeah it's interesting the other thing that came up is sam being psychic and very diligent acute listeners may have noticed that there are certain episodes where sam Tripoli comes up in conversation and then the show is interrupted because sam calls me and sometimes that's just because of scheduling (laughs) of course but there have been a few times where it's been recorded uh that sam is probably psychic and I think he it's just a fact. So if you didn't know, uh, that's a My Family Thinks I'm Crazy theory. Uh, it was proposed on the Tinfoil Hat podcast, so it's not originally my theory. But I am corroborating that theory, that Sam Tripoli is indeed psychic, and he manifested his recent appearance on the Joe Rogan experience. I said it, folks. If you're listening this long, I love you. I appreciate you. Make sure you're in the Telegram group. Make sure if you're a Patreon supporter or a Kofi supporter or a Rockfin supporter that you hit me up and get that Telegram patron supporter only link. And that does it for today's show. Don't miss out on all the great My Family Thinks I'm Crazy bonus content. You can find all the links to sign up at MyFamilyThinksI'mCrazy.com. Have a great moment wherever you are in the now. I'm off in the deep 
been One too many Netflix docs on the weekends But check the budget for our military defense Tell me we ain't scared of something not within reason Steel beams, another 1492 And 9-11 was the red, white, and blue And you be lit off the floor, I ain't got a clue All your dreams just shit on the Rockefeller shoes Don't believe a damn thing a politician ever said Ain't one brick left to go up in the Fed They still got bricks of cocaine to make crap Oxy's killing the working class, FDA's whack Talking like this, got kin talking behind backs Too much to unpack, so they talk smack And I'm just trying to converse with my clan But it ain't fan, so I'm here setting up camp Stuck in bed, so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots, but it's all kinda hazy I'm on the internet, feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pack thinks I'm on American and shady Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily You could tell me that the president's an alien It wouldn't phase me credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.